Welcome to the V'ger Please uh, series Rest in Peace, coming to you live, which is quite a trial, I assure you, for uh, Peter and I as nearly 40-year-old men to try and live stream anything. Uh, it was a frenetic 20 minutes as we tried to, to get this going on time, but here we are. We actually managed to do it. I'm proud of us. Gosh darn it. Right in the nick of time, too. That was a, that was a real... Uh... 11th hour Hail Mary there. <laughs> it was. Uh, I, I even, I literally started setting up for this boomer nonsense uh, like at 7.30. I had the time because I literally have COVID. So, you know, no excuses from anybody else. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll be honest. The This new school Omicron COVID, it's not so bad. I'll just say that. Kicked off the internet. Now. You know, I, I'm doing all right. Everything, everything is fine. Uh, but more importantly, I've had the time to, I've got numbers. I've got statistics. I have all kinds of things to bring up today as, as we try to unpack what for us has been four years of labor reviewing every single episode of Star Trek Voyager. You can listen to all of our reviews from beginning to end with one singular exception. Plenty for us to have talked about between uh, then and now, but this is when we really take part the, the the big questions about the show as a whole, what it did correctly, what it did incorrectly. Talk about some of the stuff that we, I guess, were maybe our thesis statements as we got started with the show and pass out some truly earned awards now that we've consumed seven seasons of this show. How are you feeling about this, man? Uh, so many, so many hours of podcasting and watching Voyager and accumulating this wild wealth of knowledge on, uh, such a dated property. And it is all about to be rendered completely fucking useless as we move into enterprise (laughs) (laughs) going from being, you know, probably, I don't know, an authority on Voyager for 2022 and, and none of it's going to matter and that all those memories are going to fade and all the little nuances and stuff uh, will probably pop in my head at the worst of times and I'll be like oh yeah that's right um, it'll it'll definitely push out like things that you want to remember particularly later in life like as you as you're older and you're struggling to remember the names of your grandkids you'll you'll suddenly remember you know all the episodes where Harry Kim was a complete buster I can't even remember my own children's name when it's time to yell at them as it is it's I'm living that life. Well, if you didn't, if you didn't have three blonde, you know, girls, Hansons, yeah, three little Annika Hansons, like three, like I don't want to say they're identical because they're not, but very similar looking children. Yeah, they're identical. identical. And when it's time to yell, uh, I can't remember who's who. Listen, man, we gotta, we got a lot, we gotta cover here. We got a lot to unpack. I don't want to dig too deep into my inability to remember my children's names here. We got serious business at hand well let's talk first about something that that will require some deep recall but i think is important when we started this show when i pitched it to you when we were just talking and then we did our first episode there were there were a couple things that i said that i want to revisit and you know i'm sure you did the same thing in, in kind of reviewing things for this show you know, I went back over a lot of the material that were recorded before, particularly our, our season reviews and particular episodes I thought were worth revisiting. And the the things that I mentioned, it, it's interesting 
to look at them now in retrospect, so I'm going to remind you. I said, Voyager is the unloved child of Berman era Trek, is how I phrased it. I said it, it was the first uh, show that was not syndicated. It was a network angle, uh, anchor, and so it was production was approached differently. And that when Voyager started, it was at a time when Trek was in a place of ascendancy when it comes to its status as a pop culture franchise. And by the time Voyager ended, it was clearly second tier. It had degraded in terms of its cultural cachet. So looking back at those, I feel like calling Voyager the unloved child of Roman era Trek was actually incorrect because I think you and I have learned that there are people who really do love the show. Um, Again, big surprise there being the yeah. international community and, you know, all I have is availability to bias to go on in our own personal anecdotal evidence. But like the if there's a pie chart, right, and then you got to cut the chart of the pie that is people who like Voyager and then the smaller portion of that pie, people who like Voyager enough to listen to a podcast and then an even smaller slice of that pie, people who like Voyager willing to listen to a podcast, specifically a profanity heavy, very <laughs> critical um, poop and fart joke podcast like ours. Um, and then just the, the amount of female audience that we have, which is unprecedented. Uh, lots of surprises across the board on all that stuff. Sorry, just one second here. Leave me hanging on this comment show. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a huge fan, and I think that we've also seen that fan base grow, even in the amount of time that we've been doing this. Uh, COVID and the binge culture has really gone hand in hand, and a lot of people through Facebook groups, exposures, or whatever else, like just Voyager caught on like wildfire. And one of the very early things we said back in season one, Rip, I think, was how well a lot of things about Voyager have aged, specifically choices like making Janeway uh, a woman captain, the multiracial crew, things that to you and me today in 2022 do not look out of place at all. I'm sure we're uh, a real big fucking deal to a lot of people back when this all started in 1990-whatever. Uh, and just a, a great play by the production team for that longevity, but uh, I think it's fair to say that may have given them a rockier start from uh, fan acceptance off the jump initially. I want to bring up some 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 data, okay? Because you mentioned who would stick with this show. When we were in some of the I guess the lower moments of season seven, you became, I would call it despondent over like, who is still watching this, this show? Who, who would stick with it? And I think it's worth exploring the, the production metadata when it comes to who was watching this. How was it important in terms to uh, its place in network television at the time? And how does it stack up with where Trek was versus what it was while Voyager was around. So back 
when TNG was wrapping up in 1993. It's harder to know exactly how many people were watching it because it was syndicated, so each market was different. However, if you added it all up in aggregate, it was about 10.83 million a week. Okay? Which, at the time, uh, was good. It would have been, like, top 50 television shows, but... By no means was it like ER or Seinfeld, which were shows that were literally pulling in double. You know, you're talking about 20 to, to 25 million people. That, you know, and just for, for putting it in context of uh, today's ratings, uh, if you look at just um, TV viewing, as far as live, uh, live programming on television without streaming, uh, right now the best thing on television which is sunday night football is 10.2 million so tng outstrips all live television presently airing today uh, but it's that, a different world yeah, it's mean, a different world are, are comparisons to make it's a different world but just to show like how different this whole uh this whole world is now so voyager finally gets its its start okay and when it got its start as we have mentioned many times, it is the network anchor for the UPN. And the UPN was a way for Paramount to try and create a broadcast network primetime programming lineup that would be played on a lot of secondary channels in major markets. This meaning, so you have ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, but then you'd have basically UHF superstations that are super regional. Like for Cincinnati, it was Star 64. And Star 64 didn't have a primetime programming block because it wasn't affiliated with any network. They could just pull off what was in syndication and have anything original. And this idea was, oh, we'll create these original programming blocks for these for these channels that will then affiliate with us and pay for this programming. And they'll get this new program. It'll draw in more viewers. It'll get them ad revenue. This is what we're going to do. And when Voyager's first season, it was... Far and away, UPN's best show, not even close. Its first season, it averaged 7.9 million viewers. Let me jump in real quick. Okay. All right. When you say it's its best show, uh, do not discount Nowhere Man. I fucking love Nowhere Man. And like when I think UPN first and foremost in my heart is is UPN's uh, Nowhere Man with the hidden agenda and like, I don't know. Some real quality 90s conspiracy TV. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Voyager, and, and how could Voyager not be the biggest part of that network? I mean, you've got big, big money going into this, and you've got one of the the authorities of um, broadcast TV coming in with the premier product. They didn't half-ass it. Well, I mean, season one, they half-assed. Like, <laughs> Literally half-seasoned it, too. I mean, let us not forget. Which is interesting, too. I mean, you've got such long episodes. Why why was that first season so short? Were they just rolling the dice and they were like, let's, we don't want to go too deep on this thing? Like, I, you know, I don't know. Um, it could have been a budget issue. It could have been when the channel launched. That I don't actually have the deep lore on. Like, was it that the, the channel launched halfway through the TV season, so they only produced half seasons for everything? Good question. However, as the show went on, viewership continued to drop. 
And when it wrapped in the 2000-2001 TV season, it was no longer UPN's biggest show. That was now WWF SmackDown, thanks to The Rock, which was at thanks four- to thanks to the the star-studded crossover Tuskanaske. And it, that was at four point four million. That was their best show at four point four million. Voyager was second at three million. So from the first season to the seventh season, this show went from close to eight million to around three million people. To the comments, real quick. Dahaka Jack, great idea, Paramount. You Star Trek to kick off a new network. How could that fail? I'm a network exec, and I'm looking at the offer on the table to lead in this Paramount joint project. How could Star Trek not fail? I, I, and I'm not saying that um, uh, sarcastically. Like, if you need a sure shot win, what other TV show out there has a diehard fan base that could even come close to competing with Star Trek? Nothing. Nothing could possibly ever compete. So, like, yeah, you know, there might be more popular TV shows out there that we'll be able to compare Voyager with down the line, but Star Trek as a franchise, uh, I think that on paper looks like an incredibly solid choice. Like everything Joe said, when you're coming in fresh off of uh, TNG with a couple seasons of DS9 burning it up, like, yeah, man, that thing should be uh, a locked-in solid win, and... As you go on, Joe, I'm sure you're going to start bashing up Voyager with bad viewership uh, numbers. It's a testament that you do have this this rock-solid fan base. And, and even the diehards, you couldn't keep around. I will say that relative to everything else that was on the UPN or the WB, which was essentially its competitor in this market of creating primetime pro- programming blocks for, su- for local superstations is that it was, aside from WWF SmackDown on UPN, and then two WB shows beat it, which were Seventh Heaven, which my sisters were obsessed with, by the way, and Charmed. That was, that were the only shows in that strata that beat it. And it, that meant it was outdrawing, at its nadir, at its lowest, it was outdrawing Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Dawson's Creek, Felicity, Angel, Roswell, Gilmore Girls, like all of these shows that I think have cultural cachet, like Gilmore Girls got rebooted on Netflix for an extra season. Like Voyager's ratings dropped off huge. It wasted a ton of pop culture cachet. I think that has to do with a lot of the things we're going to tear down regarding the, the show's approach overall. That said, it's still crushed nearly everything that was quote unquote a competitor to it. So those diehards were of such numbers that even the, the vaunted Joss Whedon shows at their creative peaks, okay, at their creative peaks, couldn't touch it. Well, let's get into why. So the big question that I wanted to unpack before we give out any kind of awards was... How good is this show? All right. Like it clearly has moments. You and I are on record for hours talking about it. It has some bad ones. We're on record, but 
what's the final judgment? Like, what was this? What was this experience we had? Was it good is a kind of basic ass question. But in the end, I think it's really the right one to ask. It's also very complicated. Who are you? Who? And that ties right back into your earlier comment, you know, who was the intended audience? Uh, who was around by season seven when we're still doing these bullshit um, ship in a bottle episodes with stilted continuity and assuming that the target pool we are marketing the show at, that they're coming in fresh and they've never seen an episode of Voyager before, which is nonsense. Today, I went through uh, Wikipedia and I pulled up the season uh, episode list for Voyager and I printed them all off <laughs> back and forth two pages per sheet because, you know, I'm an environmental guy and I want to reduce that carbon footprint. But I went through... That's, that's good. And this is uh, my very, very kind, non-critical, shooting from the hip, would I watch this episode again? And I went through and I did a check mark for the episodes that just reading the little capsule that they have in Wikipedia uh, and, and what it's able to jog in my memory uh, based on that, or if I, you know, <coughs> obviously stuff like Timeless, I'm going to know damn well I, I would watch it again. Right. But I did a, a check mark or a minus, a, a blue mark or a minus. My end count, and again, this is my very kind non-critical, which is completely off-brand for me personally. Uh, it's was, true. That's true, Internet. Like, you, you don't understand how off-brand it is for him to be kind. But go on. Yeah. Yeah. You you should be wondering if I'm a uh, alien interloper or I have space madness based on this list. But uh, the, the end count on this is 113, quote unquote, good versus 59 bad. That's that's generous of you. It's very I was very surprised by those numbers as well. When I sat down to do my final list of uh, the top five best episodes versus the top five uh, worst episodes. Uh, I, I was very surprised at the difficulty. I had it really looking at the worst of the worst and, and coming up with the true turds that just burn through. Maybe it's because time heals all and, you know, things fade in the background. But again, you and I have had this thing under a microscope for years now, needlessly picking apart. I, I was very surprised to be able to come at the end of all of this with such a genuinely fond outlook for... Uh, you know what I really expected to hate in a lot of uh, cases. Can I ask? So, can I? I want to ask a calibrating question, just so I can kind of get a feel of how generous you were. Look at uh, Day of Honor, which was season four, episode three. Checkmark or or not? That's uh, Balana's encounter with the fried chicken people. That is correct. Uh, what episode was that? Uh, season four, episode three. Negative. Okay, you know what? If, if that was one where we we liked some things, but we ultimately kind of gave it a thumbs down. So this feels like a relatively consistent perspective from you because I think you really warmed up to this show. I think I even accused you of going native on more than one. I occasion. absolutely went native. Yeah. Guilty, guilty. And, and I think maybe that's at the core of the question we're asking, which is: Is this show good? Right? Like. I think the show is good if you are someone who is a fan of TNG. If you liked Star Trek The Next Generation and you watched it all, then I would say to that person, 
well, if you liked that, you should watch Voyager. It's not as good, but there's enough there that I think you'll like it. That's how I would phrase it. And when we start talking about the best five episodes or just some of the top episodes, I think that in a lot of cases that Voyager was able to punch past TNG in terms of riveting stories. And again, I cannot tell in my head, are these objectively great episodes that Voyager was able to produce or are they so much better than a lot of the other chained down, self-governed, turd episodes that surrounded them that they just seem that much better by comparison and i gotta say in cases like timeless year of hell uh you know a couple of my other ones i really liked in there Deathlock, worst case scenario lifeline like i think yeah like those that that's just legit great storytelling and it realizing its own potential and able to surpass uh a lot of that i i i'm gonna disagree with you somewhat specifically in context of that it punches past TNG in terms of drama consistently. It does on occasion, but the quality of the actor on TNG is just massively different. And it really holds back Voyager that they are saddled with serious non-talents in their major, in in their major cast roles. I'm not saying that consistently Voyager is better than TNG. I'm just saying that there are certain peaks voyager is able to hit that really i think surpass a lot of the best of tng episodes in my mind okay well we we'll, we'll unpack that when we do our top five bottom five but uh, but to the the bigger question here like yeah i think voyager is a legit good tv show and i think that if i was to sit here and i was to take these 113 episodes and tell the average sci-fi fan or or maybe even uh, again the surprise in voyager is that demographics i would have never thought would give star trek or voyager the time of day diehard fans i think if i were to be able to take my more importantly take the 59 lowest episodes just cut them out and have that box set dvd series i would feel pretty good about handing it to most people under the assumption that they're watching by 2022 golden age of television tv viewing where if you can follow and i think that's really a testament to the the average intelligence of television viewers right now if you can follow game of thrones and understand exactly how the lannister uh uh bang party factors into everything that unfolds throughout the rest of westeros you can handle the doctor's humanity progression and understand Tess's magical elf adventure. I think that the biggest negative of the show is that it never leans in too deep to its continuity. I think that's its biggest detriment. Uh, My take is the show is is something that I would as I said, I'd recommend to someone if they were established in Trek and and liked it. I I don't, I would say it is a definite quality drop off from its predecessors. I would I, I, I think there's no question in that whatsoever. I don't think it's a great show. I think it's a perfectly lovable and entertaining show. And it gets bonus points if you're a Trek fan. Like, the parts of it that suck suck a lot less if you're somebody who's invested in this universe. And that's you and me, right? Like, that's everyone that's presently watching our Twitch stream. It's everyone that listens to our show, right? And so, with that context, I would recommend it, but... I am not as as warm on it as you, I think, overall. And I this entire rewatch experience were kind of reinforced that for me. I 
another guiding principle in a lot of the episodes that we watch, and I can't say it factors into my 113 versus 59 list here, but the cardinal sin to me for these Voyager episodes was the waste of times, where you did nothing to uh, demonstrably advance someone's story, there's nothing of consequence that really affects the ship, uh, and you don't add anything new to the lore of Star Trek. And even, like, the dumpy, shitty, boring episodes, like, if they could explain a, uh, an established piece of technology a little bit better or give me some backstory again you know the tuvok episode where we he sees he has to go to logic boot camp to pray the boner away right <laughs> right i couldn't tell you what else happened in that episode but that was a strong takeaway that i was able to grow that character in my head and the next time they they bring him up for a character focus episode oh that was that fucking tank girl episode it sure it? was that was a yeah. negative mark in my yeah. book, too. I, I looked <laughs> it up, and I was like, what the hell is this episode? Oh, God, it's the Tank Girl episode. What I discovered from, from reviewing the Tank Girl episode is how few people have seen Tank Girl. I just thought that that was something that anybody that was into niche movies of the 90s had seen. Or maybe that's just not that large population. I don't know. But it's like you, me, and I forget, someone in the trauma support group who was also, like, a Lori Petty fan specifically – uh, we're like, yes, Tank Girl. That is a great film. I I I didn't know people didn't know. People should watch I mean, that Tank was Girl. A major, that was a major theatrical release. Maybe we should do that for uh, Patreon content. That would actually be fun. I would I would love to do a Tank Girl review. That Look, man, sci-fi in the 90s was wild. Was, was a different thing. Okay, and I want to go back to convention culture real quick. All right, I, I used to go to these Star Trek conventions with my dad. I went to Mid-Ohio Comic Con. All this stuff pre-2000. Before the internet, if you wanted cool shit, you had to go to a convention because that was the only place you were going to find goofy Japanese anime action figures, um, memorabilia, all that other stuff. There was like star logs, and you could maybe order some stuff out of catalogs, but... It costs money to print those ads, and it, it really turned people off from trying to sell too much stuff. It was hard to get this stuff. There was only one place. You had to go to that place. It was this uh, this very special, wild experience. Uh, and then the internet came along, and it was everywhere, and it was easy to buy online, and it destroyed that convention dealer room atmosphere. And it's the same deal with sci-fi. Back in the day, uh, you took whatever sci-fi you could get access to and you made the most out of it, and you enjoyed it. And if something like Tank Girl were able to hit the big screen, you went out and watched it. It's not like there were diehard Tank Girl fans that go in, and there was just, hey, I'm a, a, a person that likes sci-fi, and this seems crazy. There's a brain in this tank. Yeah, I'll go throw $7 or whatever movie ticket is out of it. Now, media is everywhere. Streaming services are everywhere. There's content creation but out I, the wazoo, and it's all watered down. I'll never forget how my mind was blown when I saw the original Iron Man in theater and said, I just watched an Iron Man movie, and it was good. Like, the idea that that movie was made and that it was as high quality as it was was such a revelation to because I exist in the same kind of, like, nerd strata as you in terms of, like, when I was young, there there was nothing like this whatsoever that you like Batman 89 was a big fucking deal. Yeah. You know, like the fact as a game changer. And I mean, it really yeah. started warming everything up, uh, blade and all the others. So, you know, and again, phrasing Voyager in that mid to late nineties mindset where you took what you could get and you, and you went with it. And still with that going on Voyager to hemorrhage 
watcher or viewers the way it did, uh, what what critical mistakes were they making that shredded those numbers? And I think it was a weak intro. Season one and season two, a lot of rough steps. Season yeah. three, we started doing some cool stuff. Season four is my favorite season of Star Trek Voyager. Season five changed things up. It so, got a little so darker. let's pause for a second because I want to get into that question in a second. So I think that the 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 UPN necessity of making the show as intro friendly as possible because it was a, a serious ratings anchor for them held back a lot of its potential as a serialized program. Uh, yes. I, I think that that is absolutely proven throughout. And I feel real no need to rehash that because we've talked about that a lot yes. on the show. Um, we fixed a lot of episodes. What would be your big fix to the show to improve it? Like a meta change you would have made or meta changes that you would make to improve the show overall. We we're really good at fixing episodes. We know we have a lot of our fans who talk like, Oh man, I never even thought about how you could have done that episode differently. And I think that when you're a Trek fan, you have an insight to like what works maybe in this space. How would, aside from maybe the, the three foot putt, which is lean into the continuity a little bit more. Um, and also do do more with the Maquis. Don't just flush that down the toilet. I mean, that's kind of like easy. Uh, what what big change do you think you would have made? I mean that that's exactly it. You hindsight's twenty twenty. Why is TNG loved and 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 cherished whereas voyager someone already asked can you fix it by firing garrett <laughs> i mean we shit on him a lot it... he's not as bad as wesley crusher in the first couple seasons you know it it's that's a low crusher. fucking bar <laughs> which which tng surpassed you know they they were saddled with that and they somehow fixed it and uh, you know, not to get too deep into my all-time weakest shit awards, but I think they did try fixing that when they were going to write Harry Kim off the show, and then last minute he survived the Species 8472 uh, snotworm attack, and it was Kess that left the show. I think that was very clearly them identifying Harry Kim as a big weak spot. Maybe there was a lot more complaints uh, or or legit criticism about it. And they're like, all right, get rid of this guy. We're going to bring uh, this seven to nine booby character, booby McBarbie in. And they were like, Oh, nope. Uh, Jennifer lean has to go ASAP. Uh, Garrett Wang survives the operating table. My, my change would have been, I would have had them never encounter the Borg. I, I feel like the show was at its most interesting when they were doing their, crazy wild lost in space untamed delta quadrant nonsense and i understand like the borg are supposed to be in the delta quadrant i feel like they should have always just been a presence on the periphery and that voyager was attempting to always evade them rather than continuously encountering them and they were a threat that were causing the wildness of the Delta Quadrant and the lack of the, the lawlessness of the Delta Quadrant. And I would have had the only time the Borg showed up would be the finale. Like a, a, uh, I would say, uh, if you were going to have the Borg be in there, continue it off of the major motion picture blockbuster 
first contact that that collapsed and destroyed the Borg and have some little defective pockets of space where there's still a a defective Borg presence, maybe, or things thrown into chaos there and areas that were previously heavily Borg now being ransacked in this weird gold rush environment. I think that would have been an interesting way to handle it. But, you know, the bigger question you're asking is, how do you fix Voyager? If you're talking about fixing the low viewership numbers, I think by the time they really get hot and heavy in the Borg, the damage is already done. They're already at low points. And those Borg plays, when they start bringing the Borg out, when they start sweeping away (laughs) the DNs and Kazon and a lot of the other innovative stuff they were doing in the Delta Quadrant with new species and shit, and you start getting Borg and Romulan and Klingons and all this other next-gen DS9 stuff in there, that's the Jason Andrews in Think Tank and this other stuff. That's them trying to claw eyeballs on the screen. And uh, again, the damage is already done. Lastly, so, it's to, to fix Voyager, you call it the three foot putt, but it's, it's just that. Don't go with this episodic uh, ship. And, I'm sorry, don't go with this ship in a bottle, self contained episode things. Start building these characters. I'd be very curious, like anybody out in the audience right now who's able to chat, like the people who were watching this stuff initially when it first came out, were you aware of the fact that uh, Bellana Torres always fell down the exact same character hole of, gee, I hate being Klingon, but then 45 minutes later, you know, I've made peace with it until we tell the story again six episodes from now. Um, That they literally repeat that loop over and over and over again until the last possible minute. And, and they just don't have time to replay the loop again. You know, like it, it replays again in its seventh season, but then they're at the end of the show. So it's the last time they do it. In the comments, throw in there, like the people who watched this thing inaugurally as it was coming out, like what were your big complaints, if any, as you were watching this TV show, the stuff that would really make you roll your eyes. If you had friends that bailed on it because they were sick of it and wouldn't watch it, like, what were these people quitting for at the time? Uh, you know, again, I was a huge TNG fan. I was playing the Decipher CCG every Friday at uh, Mr. Cards and Comics. I was memorizing all these cards, and I never touched DS9 and uh, or Voyager. And I'd like to say it's because, you know, I was this hot shot in high school, and I was busy going to all the cool kids' parties and, and having all of the sex. Uh, I assure you that sure as fuck is not what was going on. I was... <laughs> still a turbo nerd and i for the life of me i can't sit here and tell you why i turned my nose up at voyager specifically um and i think it's just because i was too wrapped up in tng and it was star trek that wasn't tng and i was a little dickhead and i resented it for that i call this uh this last piece before we get into the awards the tale of two shows which is i feel like seasons one through three are dramatically different than seasons four through seven that seasons one through three reflect i think some of the best possible in you know ways that voyager could have have uh, approached its storytelling um in terms of the wild west uh but that seasons four through seven are more cohesive narratively uh yet way too reliant on things like the borg and seven of nine which which was better? The basically the cast version of the show or the seven of nine version of the show? If I can cut Kess and Seven of Nine characters out completely, then I'm going to say 
the the first portion because I liked I ended up liking all the innovative stuff that they did trying new things um, moving away from established canon and being able to try and tell these very unique stories um, once you add seven to nine and Kess back in seven took so long to get good that I'm still going to stick with Kess and I still think that ultimately Kess yeah. was a better character I think the real question there is you know cutting the the writing room and the production team a break like would Kess have been sustainably good like Jennifer Lean her acting chops were there and I felt like she really brought a warmth to every scene she was in um I think you would have really had to continue to mute her Jedi powers otherwise it would have just become this silly thing um but with the absence you know of Troy or that kind of a character like she was really that emotionally intelligent um sensitive go-to person that later on Chakotay would have to inhabit the role of. So I think that, yeah, there, there was a space for her. Would that have been at the cost of some good Chakotay episodes? Maybe. I ultimately largely agree with your assessment. Um, I guess my biggest shock to rewatching everything was I recalled seven of nine being a good character, but I recall seven of nine being a good character because season seven was the most recent one I had rewatched. And that's where seven of nine really comes together as a character. And you really appreciate the journey she's gone on. But yeah, like you said, she just kind of dithers in a fucking silver cat suit for two seasons before they figure out what the fuck they're doing. And um, that definitely wears on war on us uh, as reviewers, as we're like, please not this again. Please not robot lady does robot lady things again. Like, please do something here. In season six, they do. And then it pays off in season seven. Like that there is a journey there. There is an arc there and they allowed it to develop. But Lord have mercy. It took him a while. And Cass was, I think, just a much better character. Like, I mean, Cass and Neelix wind, wound up being some of un, our unironic best characters on the show that we enjoyed. Nail me to the cross on it. And, yeah. and I said awful things about Jennifer Lean, which I apologize. And I don't know if uh, the fans still out there that called us out on, on being shitty about that, but absolutely right. Um I would have never in a million years thought that Kess would hit that place in my my favorite pantheon she did, let alone fucking Neelix, who, again, was legitimately written awful. The the jealousy stuff, like, they really poisoned that character. And I think that, um, you know, that the actor ended up getting sick of the bad writing and decided to just start having fun with it and being a little shit, and that came through and made me enjoy it. Let's touch on the, the chat here real quick. People are chiming in on things that initially turned them off to Voyager. Uh, Belana Taurus's um, portrayal, which very fair because they just beat you over the head with <coughs> that story over and over again. Uh, that they didn't accumulate tech and potential crew they encountered, and, and that infuriated me as well. And that's one of the big things we looked at at BSG, where that um, Ronald Moore did all of that and, and made all the wildest dreams come true about yeah. persistent ship damage haunting the Battlestar as it got deeper in having to fight to find resources, uh, stealing technology from the enemy. Yeah. Um, I mean, Battlestar Galactica is Voyager's premise, except just the, the dark side of it, like just fleshed out to be as realistic as possible. That was the entire intention. You can see it so much more clearly after watching Voyager that he just got burnt out and was like, I'm just going to make your show better than he did. But you do see occasionally Voyager will, grow and and have new cool stuff but then there's stuff like um 
I think it was vis-a-vis that was choking as a two-way street where the shape changer tries to seduce Tom Paris away from the crew. And they've got this super duper technology on the, um, the type two shuttle that lets them like fold space or whatever. And they have it. They, they bring it back on the ship to never be talked about again. That was infuriating. Um, the boring filler episodes. And that's really the, that's the cardinal sin. All right. That, that, that's how you fix Voyager. Take those 59 episodes and throw them in the fucking trash because that's where they belong. Those completely poison the experience. They didn't add anything good. They were boring dud episodes, you know, and maybe I'll get around to posting this list in there. In a sense, that was a space Amish Tuvok in charge scientific method. That was the, uh, the space elf. <laughs> what was it? Headache pill testing or something. It was. Yeah. False prophets, the swarm. These are your, the your worst episodes. These are just ones that I put, you know, this is part of the 59 that I would not watch them again. I would not recommend someone else watch once well, upon a time. Well, I think we're finally to the listing part of the show. So let's, let's get into that. Cause some of the questions that are being asked, I think are going to be answered by the rationale for some of our selections here. So the first award I actually have is actually best season and worst season. My best. Oh, come on. How about the fucking. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I, you have a best season you already mentioned. I just want you to defend your reasoning. You said season four. Uh, yeah, 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 season four. So defend that. Why is Cass a better character, yet your favorite season is is the seven of nine intro season, I believe is what was asked of you. Because you didn't have to be a good episode to have good scenes that people put on. And Kess always uh, Jennifer Lean always held up her end of the bargain in a scene. She always brought warmth and and um, uh, dedication, uh, a viability to any of the dumb lines that they'd have her read. And sure, she, you know, she'd have her dud like a logem here and there. But uh, season four is really where uh, we still had that Wild West component. We hadn't really fallen into the, the Starfleet. Uh, we didn't go too deep into the um, you know, the rehash of some TNG uh, type stuff. And, you know, it, we really started breaking out of our old character loops. Belana Torres specifically started seeing some pretty good growth in that episode. And uh, I think they, I mean, minus like Scorpion Part 2, which was an awful beginning to that. Oh, we'll we'll uh, get to Scorpion. <laughs> we'll get to Scorpion. I mean, you got the Years of Hell in there. You got stuff like Mortal Coil that's a really thought-provocative and bold story to tell. Um, Herogen, I think, really started coming in there. Yeah, and that was when they initially made contact with Starfleet via Message in the Bottle, too. You know, you're still hitting stuff like uh, the fringy stuff in there, like Omega Directive, which might not have been the most stellar episode, but still cool conceptual stuff out there. Uh, and then you ended it on Hope and Fear, which I just thought was fucking amazing. Actorus was right. Uh, my favorite was season five. I feel like season five was the most coherent in terms of construction of having a theme. It was the uh, kind of the everyone gets their comeuppance, everyone has their time in the barrel season, uh, darker than most. But I think it really worked. I think it made for some really compelling episodes that had Timeless, that had Bride of Chaotica, which was actually, you know, quite, quite different. It was more fun than anything else. But it had a great hit ratio in my opinion going back through it 
where even like stuff like infinite regress which was a seven of nine episode where she her like one of her implants isn't working correctly and she starts cycling through other personalities uh latent image where that was the one where the doctor has to make a decision on if they was gonna sacrifice one life or, or harry kim's and has to like make that resolution she like becomes more than just a, a program who becomes a sentient ai and he's kind of like trying to resolve that those stories were really deep and i think i i think that season five finally was just all of that potential laid out on screen and it's my favorite i think we both have the same choice for worst season because we literally call it season sucks yeah um season six is like the polar opposite where it's just stupid as hell so i mean sunatse right like this is the season that literally has a wwf crossover episode what what and that's not even the worst it really had to offer you know no i mean it also had both of both of the Irish McIrish Town episodes, right? So we, we we had not one but two visits to Fairhaven in one season. Uh, we had one small step, which was the one where Chicote, like at the first time, Chicote uh, gets bustered on by Seven of Nine for being a dumbass. Go back to Fairhaven episodes. Two episodes dedicated to this, and it's the same deal with Workforce, right? You're making a big deal out of this stuff. You're returning to these episodes. And for what? Fucking Barkeep Michael, you know, we talk about him a lot. Awesome secondary character. You set him up well. The actor was great. He, you know, big changes have to happen by the end with Janeway admitting that holograms are people and it's okay that she, you know, invests in one emotionally. All this other stuff. And then after, what the hell was it called? Spirit Folk? Whoosh! It's all gone. <laughs> Never to be heard from again. Space Mark, he's so great. I love you, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Workforce Part 2. Uh-oh, all of a sudden you're my boss. I can't... Whoosh! It's all gone. None of it matters again. D waste my fucking time with this stuff. Like, get what, out of here. My favorite of our, like, fixes of things was how we would have used Barkeep Michael more often. And, like, put the fucking mobile emitter on his ass and, like, sent him out to do, like, things that an Irish Barkeep would have been good at. It, yeah even even the worst of the show could have been better used but yeah season six is season sex for a reason it is really awful in large stretches like this is the one where they had fury like the the cat's comeback episode that was just uh, just a shitter shit the all lowest over. points of the episode i think come out of there and i hammer on tattoo logem uh, non sequitur twisted you know there's a lot of shitty rancid stuff in season two but by the time you get to some of the low points we hit in season six they're just fucking inexcusable yes you know that, that was my gonna be my key point is there is no reason for the sixth season of your show to be hitting such a creative dead zone like what the fuck you just ran out of story compelling stories to tell that you do alice like come on you're ripping off christine really come on I you know, Alice shows up in my notes a lot with, like, vitriol and hate. And I, I'm thinking back, and I try to remember on it. And, like, I want to hate the episode because I know it's a fucking miserable episode. But I just had so much fun watching Tom devolve into this <laughs> this this stubbly, 
clearly sick trash bag wearing lunatic that everybody just tolerates and crazy Janie was like oh blada boys will be boys it doesn't matter that he throttled you and tried to kill you in the shuttle bay everything's fine it's just so fucking absurd that I can't help but Tom's friends are so terrible they don't recognize when he's wearing a trash bag and is clearly not showered in three days come on please he's going crazy look at these goofy oh you know Tom he's always starting this fad you remember two months ago when he got everybody on the ship uh, Aldo start wearing FUBU and Ralph Lauren. <laughs> yeah, what, what what happened to, like, the idea of, of Tom starting trends that could have been self-destructive? Like, I looked up in the computer about crystal meth. <laughs> let's, let's... To be fair, and as I think they do a great job establishing by the time we hit Endgame, and I can speak to you from my own experiences, that you knock a lot of your stupid bullshit off when you settle down into the 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 family man role and uh i I love that when harry's like come on tom let's go on a suicide run and go scope out the the borg nebula of death and he's like uh no dude i got a kid and i'm gonna go to bed at nine o'clock goodbye (laughs) let's do top five and bottom five episodes what do you say Um, are you ready for this it's it's gonna be hard and again 113 to 59 going through and compiling my best episodes tons to choose from i was shocked that it was as hard to come up with a list of worst and i'm not going to turn my webcam around but i got a fucking list taped to my wall over here between one two and three with like the worst of the worst or so i thought um you go first all right my top five. First, i do have a runner-up an honorable mention which is living witness which I recall being one of my favorite Voyager episodes in, in, in retrospect, it's not that it's bad. It's just that I did in fact find five more that I think I liked more than living witness. And if any, if I have a positive thing to say about Voyager, it's that something that I thought was the best, which was living witness didn't end up actually making the cut because there was enough that I felt was better than that. But living witness is still amazing. I it's, I think a, it's a great Trek episode Overall, um, you know, I, I love the mirror universe hammy nature of how everyone uh, gets to do their scenes of the, the the past version of Voyager that's ill-remembered. Fantastic. Uh, good message. I It's very strong and holds up. It's my runner-up. So my top five. Number five is Warlord, which is probably wow. my, my favorite cast episode. Fair, yeah. And there's there's great fucking Kess episodes out there. Yeah, uh, that's the best one. I think that's the one where she's got to be all over the place, right? Where she's Kess, but then she's also the the sexy vampire cat warlord, uh, you know, slinking around in her leather pants, telling everyone that they're going to bone later, uh, you know, like being weirdly like torture flirty with Tuvok. Blood uh, tube spraying alien blood out of people's face holes murdering people with her mind and then you have this psychic confrontation at the end where like she uncorks don't forget the orgy. True power yeah no no i mentioned that i oh, mentioned man. i mentioned her waltzing around telling everybody they're gonna bang later i mean it's it's a key part of the experience but of all the cast episodes that's my favorite and so i think it deserves mention on the list number four is worst case scenario uh, it's just uh, a fun 
Voyager episode is very specific to Voyager as a premise of like everyone's hard up for entertainment. So the idea that an unfinished security training program, that's essentially a kind of fan fiction of Voyager itself turns out to be an underground hit that everyone participates in. And also it ends up being a secret Seska episode. Hmm. It's just, hmm. And then I'm if, touching myself under this table right now, anybody who's watching. And, and of course, Jack made an actual game out of it, so uh, you can't can't deny it. Uh, number three, Bride of Chaotica. Yeah, I knew you were going to have that on. Yeah, it's the funniest Star Trek episode ever made. Uh, just, I adore it to this day. Uh, Janeway as the Spider Queen and having to, like, LARP. And her difficulty in LARPing, but then getting into it to the extent that even when they're done wrapping up the problem, they have to finish the story, right? Like, it's done. They can turn it off now. But no, we're going to we're gonna finish doing all of our LARPing because we're in character now. I just, I like the idea that Tom had a wacky adventure that he had to rope everybody into, including his boss, right after he got done with his prison stint. You know, like, timing couldn't have been better. Yep. Number two. Uh, Year of Hell. Um, it's the Voyager movie, and it certainly, as a standalone experience, was amazing. Space Boddicker as the bad guy. Uh, probably a, a singular uh, ex, you know, villainous uh, turn on the show, quite frankly. Um, it's not my number one, because it has zero consequences to the rest of the storyline of Voyager. It's a huge mark against it that it's literally a bottle episode and none of the cool stuff that you see happen in it ends up mattering, including as we often uh, lamented like seven of nine and Tuvok being buddies. And this happened over the course of the, of the two parter at that they apparently had this close relationship because he was reliant on her and she was part of the reason he was blinded and all of that. But I, I, I gotta, there's, I love, uh, year of hell as well but there's one other the real cardinal sin of year of hell is the fact that we had uh kess living along her own lifeline god what was that episode oh yeah the the one where she goes back and goes forward in time and was learns it blink about of the an eye? was it blink of an eye no, no that blink was... of eye is the donut planet what is it guys before and after before and after dealt specifically with the fucking crenum. Yeah. And, and she filed a report on the crenum with all of her shit. And then they fly in there and this fucking episode, this major motion, you know, this super event of year of hell built on time and again, and completely discards the last thing. Like not time and again, before and after before and after my bad, but you know, that, that was, that's some real Voyager writer room. It is, but despite that, it's still the second best episode of the show. Yeah, it's absolutely. that it's that fucking good. The CG was even like uncommonly good for that point in the show too. Like the way Voyager was damaged. Take everything I just complained about uh, before and after. I mean, just fucking throw it in the trash. Because yeah, the, a, a, a great episode. It throws all that stuff. Uh, y- you can ignore it all. You know, it, a great episode. The ends justify the means, right? My top one, though, it's easy. It's Timeless. Timeless was always the best episode of the show. Everyone who tells you that Timeless is good is correct. Um, And it's just... 
It's an episode so good that Harry Kim is the main character and he is the best part about it. What else can you say? Like LeVar Burton directed it as a Harry Kim led episode. And it is the best episode on the show. Like that's some super powered nonsense. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have a lot of overlap here. Um, I'm right there with you on uh, year of hell. Time, you know, let me, let me preface this. My best of Voyager. And I'm going to look like a big hypocrite here. Cause I'm always like, oh, I need continuity. I need this. I need that. I, I hate the ship in a bottle episodes. Like looking at my picks here, there is some wild self containment out of the way to go in self containment here. But, uh, I want to quote my good friend Neelix, uh, on Talaxia. We say that daydreams are a glimpse into another world of what was or what could have been. All right. Looking now, and I've got a lot of stuff in there. Eye of the Needle, Prime Factors. Prime Factors, I fucking love. And that was a season season one, right? Because that was the Skeevians? Yes. You know, great. Uh, Living Witness, Hope and Fear, again, I loved. Live Fast and Prosper. Lifeline was especially great to me. Author, author, friendship one. But my, my top picks here, man. Timeless, Year of Hell. Worst case scenario, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, shattered. Okay. Just, yeah. Yeah, that's our top episode from season seven, I think. You know, uh, a great self-referential, take a step back and let's look at this body of work and embrace what has made it great and let's try to come to terms with what's made it bad. Uh, and a big chunk of that is crazy Janeway doing crazy things that defy all logic let's make it work and let's kind of as the writer room and as an audience say what's bringing you guys who are still here what's bringing you back to the table and let's celebrate that and you know who knows that who would have known that they were writing a rick and morty episode back in 99 or 2000 or whatever but there it was and it worked and i loved it uh and then i'm gonna go with Deathlock. You know, it brought emotion uh, into my Star Trek Voyager watching experience that I was not prepared for. And that really proved to me that these were characters I actually cared about. And uh, there was a great fake out in that where the Voyager that was doing really great and you thought was going to be fine ends up being the one that gets super victimized. And it was the Voyager that was beat the fuck up and about to blow up that ends up limping off alive watching the vidians go um shooting those like uh tow cables and like stripping voyager down ripping off hull plates and, and murdering the all of the crew like yeah we, i mean that this was a early kill them yeah yeah so you know Deathlock, year of hell timeless uh really were able to stir emotions in me and that i found very surprising and you know i, I really latch onto those episodes so yeah death clock i'm sorry death lock worst case scenario year of hell timeless and shattered are going to be my top picks bottom five all right here here we go the lowest How, of the low this this was so hard i mean it like, was the this was area that you really how, how to properly hate star trek voyager 
I, I will say the top five was a little bit difficult. There were some, you know, like that were orbiting that that didn't quite make it for me, like Fair Trade, that were very good, but just weren't necessarily in my top five. Bottom five was so much harder to do. There was so much garbage to pick from. Um, that, so many different flavors of garbage, too. Uh, runner up. Okay. Ride of Chaotica was Joe's top five, by the way, right? Yeah, what? Um, that, so many different flavors of garbage, too. Uh, runner up. Okay. Ride of Chaotica was Joe's top five, by the way, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes. Yeah, stay true. It was actually my number three. Sorry, my wife is, is headed to bed, so. Um, uh, so, bottom five. Runner-up is 11.59. It's my runner-up. It's my runner up because it's it's not an episode of Star Trek. So as a consequence, it cannot be in my bottom five episodes of Star Trek Voyager. Um, I think we said many times, it's not like a terrible piece of television programming. It's just not an episode of Star Trek. Absolutely. I, I don't know else to describe it. It's just not. It's just not. It's a, it's 1159 a, didn't even come into my my ballpark of consideration. I mean, there's so many other stinkers, just vicious, oh yeah, murderous hobo stinkers out there. I, I I felt like it required some mention though, of like it is the most baffling thing I've ever seen under the Trek banner in my life. You know, like I I can't I cannot grasp its existence. Like I as much as I hate Star Trek Picard, I can at least fathom its existence. I cannot fathom the existence of Eleven Fifty Nine. Number five, concerning flight. This was this was the John Reese Davies as uh, going on an adventure with Kathy on a planet that had captured their computer, and then they have like this low energy phaser fight where they fly a flying machine, and it's basically all it can kill someone with a uh, with a fire extinguisher. It, it's it is all the captain wanting to do live action role play with her Da Vinci puppet. And to the point where even Tuvok's like, why are you doing this? This is stupid. We shouldn't be risking ourselves so that you can do this stupid stuff. And the captain's like, I'm going to do it anyway. And there's just no really good explanation for why it's happening. And uh, God bless John Reese Davies. He has so much charisma. You, you want to like what's happening, but you can't. It's just, complete opposite of ron glass who showed up to get the money and put in minimal effort and john reese davies is like this is fucking trash and i'm gonna go over the top completely agreed number four time and again this is the candy corn tragedy man going all the way back to the origin story of so many bad things that show is god awful and indulges in Voyager's worst habits in terms of writing and performance and costume design and aliens that look like humans with ugly ponchos. It's, it's bad. Another one of those episodes that I cannot hate it anymore. I've had so much fun relentlessly mocking it and, and making jokes at its expense that I can barely remember what actually happens. I remember police start shooting a gun and being a white person, uh, Janeway runs towards the danger and gets punched in the head. <laughs> yes, she does. Number three, Elogium. That's probably just the most unfun thing I think we watched 
It's just was early Kess and early Neelix content that was just when they were unlikable and not particularly well fleshed out yet. And you didn't care about them or what they were going through. And so it sucked. Um, it's this, you know, if you ran that one out on the third season after they've had some development, maybe you could have done it better. But where they put it early on, no. No, it was bad, and it deserves to be the object of hatred it's been for us for years. Number two, Q in the Gray. You ruined the Q, Voyager. You ruined them by having Tom Paris roll up to the Q Elder with a Q rifle and saying, gotcha, as a way to solve the plot. They have this hyper-low-energy Civil War reenactment fight for the fate of all creation. And that's how it ends. What the actual fuck were they that doing? That scene is, is stupid, and certainly that's appearance alone uh, is worthy of putting it on that list. The real crime of Q and the Grey is that it peels the curtain back too far uh, on the Q continuum. It shows you as the viewer too much. And Q is one of those things that it's better left hinted at and not really seen under the clear light of day and if you're going to show it under the clear light of day it needs to be an amazing story not we're in a civil war and we're going to fix it with um an impulse baby i want to fuck the captain and and along the line <coughs> harry kim and uh convict tom are going to openly mock a godlike entity to his face on a polynesian holodeck level yeah treat him like a buster get... like a total buster and then not get wished into the cornfield yeah, yeah. It there's there's a lot of crimes on deck in that episode, but still, the worst episode of Star Trek Voyager, and frankly, it was not close, is Scorpion Part One. No episode of Star Trek Voyager is more damaging to the main character Janeway, the premise of the show, the status of the Borg as a threat for the Star Trek universe or like just the crippling inability of the writers to grasp the damage that they're doing to all elements of their own continuity by having Janeway make the decisions that she makes. Compare Scorpion part one and two to Endgame and how Janeway acts in relation to the Borg in these situations. Yeah, like, Endgame Janeway is like, the Borg are an alpha-level threat and deserving of, you know, destruction at our hands at all costs. And Scorpion Part 1, Janeway sees the Borg in distress against another villain that is extremely poorly understood by them and ultimately find they find out is perfectly reasonable and can be negotiated with. It elects to cut a deal with them to preserve them and their existence against this existential threat that they provoked on purpose. Costing literal billions, if not trillions of lives throughout the galaxy by doing so. Because clearly Species 8472, at some point, someone would have talked to them and they would have peaced out. That's what happened, right? Like, they had a conversation with voyager later on and they're like okay well you know we're not boys but we're not enemies see ya also chakotay what are you doing later tonight yeah also can we take your first officer back with us to bone town mm -hmm. 
You know, like... They stand around for, like, tourism photos. Scorpion has the Borg being chumped horrifically, which before that moment, they're, like, the worst threat ever. An entire fleet of of Starfleet vessels are required to destroy one cube. That's an episode where, like, you've got cubes just getting one shot over and over and over again. Uh, You have Janeway making cripplingly stupid decisions. Um, You have... No one except Chakotay really wanting to stop her. Like, there wasn't a mutiny. That makes no sense. And in the end, uh, you have the Borg not ultimately just crushing Voyager and relentlessly pursuing them uh, because now they've got, you know, the key to stopping 8472 and conquering fluidic space. I just cannot hate that episode enough. And there's plenty of garbage that didn't make my list. Someone run a virtuoso. Uh, yeah, a thousand times. Yeah, that's terrible. But um, I just, I, Scorpion is damaging to Voyager, horrifically damaging to Janeway, and damaging to Star Trek as a whole because of what they did to the Borg through it. And for those sins, it can never be forgiven. Uh, a couple special nominations or mentions for mine. Um, Alice, which was so bad, I, I just couldn't help but love. I, again, it's it's galvanized in mind. I had a Logium up in there just because it's a staple shit episode. And and the real evilness of a Logium is the fact that whereas Alice, we think back joking about it and concerning flight, we think back joking about it. There's nothing fun or fu- you know what? Fucking a Logium is on my list after all. There's nothing fun about a Logium. No. There's nothing funny about a Logium. It is a vampire that stole 45 minutes of my life and then another hour to record the podcast after that and and fuck it forever. It's just miserable. Um, I'm going to move on. Drone. Ugh. Take all the bad stuff about the Borg and then make a dumpy, shitty, low-budget CGI version that just really throws the power level out of whack and just bad for a million reasons. Um, drone. Uh tattoo which stay the fuck away from Chakotay's backstory you know you got this 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 poison well of Native American information from a, a poser um, cultural expert or whatever that guy billed himself as it was ridiculous uh, subverting all of that the rubber tree people into being fucking aliens who had been tampering with earthling DNA like the whole premise of it was bad it, ret- retconned the, the uh, existence of of sentient life in the alpha quadrant that was established in tng too like what the fuck like you do some pretty legit world damage uh the aliens looked whack the acting was bad just a a real staple of what was that season three maybe no see that was season two that's that's early uh early season shenanigans um false prophets was just a silly shit show with one of the most infuriating endings that I've ever seen in television, period. If you want to know more, feel free to go back to that episode where we poop on it for an hour straight. It definitely has uh, the most baffling Voyager moment of all time. Yeah. Uh, Virtuoso did make my list. Your ability to take the strongest character on the show who is consistently excellent and just make you hate him make you hate the entire alien race with him a preposterous setup like 
someone I feel like came on the writer's room to try to sabotage the show and they just looked at all the stuff that was good about the show at that point and tried to stab all of it in the neck. <laughs> Inexcusable. Uh, and then I'm going to go with Nightingale as one of my top five worst episodes. For that to come in at season seven and be the the level of turd that it was. I, I think it says something that you and I managed to have very similar top fives, but entirely diverse bottom fives. With, with like, the, the kind of garbage that was available, that you could come up with a legitimate bottom five, and that we wouldn't necessarily have any of the same entries. And here's the thing, neither of us is wrong. Yeah, and that's, yeah. That's the thing about Voyager, is there's just a cornucopia. Those 59 episodes that I put check... Some of them are, are minimal offenders, right? One small step, I think, really encapsulates um, a time waster. We didn't need to make this. 26 episodes is too much for a season, and we're really stretching. And and again, what makes Voyager a bad TV show? You, there's so many episodes there that when you're forced to put something on and your heart's not in it, it, not only is it bad TV, but it's costing you credibility with the viewer, and every bad episode might be the last episode someone's willing to put into that product. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Name me three things about one small step. It's it's so easy to forget, and that's just kind of like a placeholder for a lot of the, the the turdy duds. But Nightingale, you're in that home stretch. There's a million great stories to tell, and you're fucking around with with this clown. Bad time, man. Bad time. I gotta use the restroom real quick, Peter. Would you mind interacting with chat while I do so? Sure. All right, I'll be right back. Let's see what we got going on in here, guys. Uh, yeah, re-listen to the, the review of Tattoo. Again, you know, there's there's two levels of bad. There's objectively bad, and then there's, um, for us, a hard, bad podcast. And I can't remember what the 7 to 9 gets abused and people try to steal her parts. That's the one episode that never really saw the light of day because the internet made it. But, um, you know, it's... What we are doing here together is a completely different experience than what a lot of you guys did at home the first time you watch us, unless you were doing like Game of Thrones style viewing parties where you were talking heavily about these uh, directly after they came out. Uh, let's see. I really liked uh, Jack's comment there that the Krenum report that Kess filed was not invoked at all during the year of hell because Kess misspelled Krenimum with a C instead of a K so they couldn't search it out. 37s. And that's, you know, we nailed 37s to the cross when we initially watched it. And it's funny that Voyager was able to put such other terrible stuff up on the board that something they used to just spit on left and right, 37s was able to fade into the background. Like, at the end of the day, what was really the worst thing 37s did? Everything Joe was talking about, like uh, damage being done to Q, damage being done to the Borg, uh, all legit points. 37 was a self-contained uh, ship in a bottle that ultimately just slid its own wrists uh, and, and it didn't <laughs> yeah, really like, have a chance. 37s didn't make our list. 37s was so bad. I mean, Tackleberry aside, there was nothing... That could possibly have been salvaged from that, but it didn't make either of our lists. Oh no, no, go back, man, and 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 they're talking about it in chat right now. Like, part of the crime of Thirty Sevens is that there was an opportunity to tell a great story there, and they shit the bed instead. And that that's Voyager in in a nutshell. <laughs> take, and it's absurd, but you know, go ahead and take um, Amelia Earhart, put her on the fucking crew. 
Yeah. You're in the Delta Quadrant. You're doing crazy shit. The whole premise of, of Voyager should theoretically be, what if? Put her on the fucking crew, man. Who cares? Kill her off six episodes later. Tell a story relying on the story before and, and do some <coughs> stuff. Show me the city of tomorrow. Have a big chunk of the crew decide, you know what? The 37s world is going to be the best place that we're going to be able to do. We're going to stay here. And all of a sudden now Voyager has half the ship missing and we have to recruit some Kazon and some of the other recruitment points we have in here. Um, and that'll tie into like, you know, some of the weakest shit contenders or, or Voyager tropes that they fall into. Um, and that's all the opportunities they have to grow the crew or to interact with existing crew members that they never uh, realize on. All the Equinox guys, the 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 drone Bajorn lady who got assimilated to Wolf three five nine. Bring the holograms in from um, what was it? Flesh and what's the one where the Herogen go to war and they have to save all the Federation holograms? Flesh and blood. You know, bring these guys in, show them around the ship, uh, work in the guys from uh, Good Shepherd episode. Make them lived in, and then when it's time, you got to fucking kill somebody for emotional impact. Instead of bringing out Joe Carey, who hasn't been around for seven seasons—I'm sorry, six seasons—or the car, you know, another big cardinal sin of Voyagers, someone needs to die or someone needs to come back from the dead. Instead of using someone established, whoever died on uh, the planet with the Borg co-op with Chakotay, that uh, oh yeah, yeah, who, you know, that like, ensign that gets a yeah seems really cool and has a few lines to open with. And then just gets murked. Bring out somebody that we know and they're established. As long as it's not Smoldering Catcher because I like him too much. Yes, of course. Kill somebody we know. Kill somebody from the Equinox crew. Kill the the Bajoran lady. You know, she's got a chance to... She's got 30 days to live and she decides to cut it short at 15 because she's going to play the hero in, in some ridiculous setting. Like, those are great stories. Don't make... Oh, gosh... Judy Patootie. Everybody remembers Empton Patootie, right? Oh, we all loved her. Yeah, she died in that warp core breach. That sucked. That was too bad. I don't care about Judy Patootie. Get out that fucking miserable asshole who watches the landing gear go up and down from Good Shepherd. I think that uh, the best version of this we pointed out was that Harry's Canadian girlfriend wasn't the ensign from Latent Image. Like, that's the, that was the, the thing we brought up at the time was... There was that ensign that was a 90s hottie that was the one that died in Latent Image, or, yeah, Latent Image, where the doc chose to save Harry instead of her. And when you had some old flame of Harry's that was also on the ship come back in this Canadian Girlfriend episode, Ashes to Ashes, it wasn't her. Like, you didn't just reuse somebody that literally died, you know, on a mission with Harry that easily could have been brought back for that purpose dumb um doctor uh what was her name dr pelor dr patel dr pell why is she not on the crew at least they reused her like a little bit like and then they did her dirty and left her to fucking die at the hands of those those murderous oh yeah phage infected assholes and let me jump in another contender i have for the weakest shit award and that was the offhand mention oh by the way the think tank cured the phage yep oh god okay so before we get let's let's get into the weakest shit award. Um, first and foremost, though, thank you to everyone that's in the chat. We've, we've got more people participating than I think Peter and I thought would occur. I'd be happy if we got four. Yeah, there's <laughs> been like twenty people, so thank you guys, appreciate it. Um, and so we will continue to interact with you guys as much as possible. 
And then I'm going to reopen the Discord once uh, we're done recording. And anyone that wants to hop in and, and chat afterwards, I intend to be up because I legally cannot go back to work because of the fact that I had COVID. So I have the time. Um, weakest shit of all time. So many options. So many options. So many contenders. You brought up one. Offhandedly, Jason Alexander apparently Seinfelded away the phage casually. You know, this dominating element of this villainous species that haunted Voyager for seasons. Gone. I love Think Tank. And also, I want to pull out from that Think Tank, too, the fact that they were able to catch up with Voyager, which shows that they had advanced uh, warp technology that Voyager just fails to ever to barter for. It's true. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, the, you know, the original Jatrell with trying for eight minutes to try and resurrect everybody on a on a moon almost succeeding and then just giving up try, try 80 seconds <laughs> probably more accurate yeah come on what other what other nomination i know exactly what mine is what other nominations would you like to make all right this is i feel like there's a lot more potency of of hate and spite here than there were in me assembling my bottom five worst episodes uh off the, the cuff, the fucking notion that the Maquis would ever in their wildest dreams entertain the idea of cooperating with Seska. I love Seska. Seska is one of my favorite parts of the show. You're telling me that fucking, uh, not crewman Jonas, who, who was a little shitbag? It was Jonas. Jonas. That you're going to find out that your BFF was a fucking Obsidian Order spy, that you are a Cardassian murdering terrorist, and you are going to cooperate with cardassian secret service intelligent agency and, and and fucking sabotage your friends ridiculous pulls that whole wonderful seska arc and collapses it right into the fucking trash um the dirty they did to kess in rage to bring that to resurrect that character who left it's fury but okay a, yeah fury my bad who left in a, a pretty great send-off into super saiyan-ness and to bring her back just to shit and piss all over her. And there was a good way to tell that story, and they didn't get anywhere close to it. That was a fucking war crime. Jerry Taylor permadeathing the two great characters on her way out just to, to spit on her toys so nobody else could play with them. Uh, that being Lon Suter and Seska. I don't even... Listen, the 17 people in this chat room right now don't need just to spell out the, the, the greatest, all right? That's on the Mount That's Rushmore. That's true. It's true. Uh, the decision to, to keep Harry Kim around at the cost of Kess. Um, species 8472 retcon to be nice dudes you can get along with. like, and, and, and all the baggage that comes along with siding with the Borg and condemning all the fucking people from hope and fear and everything else to die. Like You covered that one pretty good. Borg treatment as a whole. You're going to make a big deal out of Seven of Nine, and then you're going to bring in... Uh, was it fucking dark frontier we bring out borg ug and don't do anything with it that that seven of nine's dad borg from or ug from salute your shorts didn't hit the fucking morgue queen over the head with his dildo arm and say i love you honey i'm sorry and give her fucking closure instead we had to sit through that terrible one of two terrible romance plots seven of nine was inflicted with uh, again, curing the phage in the think tank. I got my worst one here, but I want to hear what your other, what your list of grievances are, because that's really what we're. This is what the hateful voyage has been all about. Is this moment right now, Joe? It is. Uh, you've 
you've brought up so many solid gold moments of pure writer incompetence and failure to execute that I don't have anything more to add to it except to provide what my all-time weakest shit is, and I'll let you provide yours. Mine okay. is not one you've mentioned, but ultimately when I weighed all the options, it was the one I felt was the weakest shit. Because when I think about the weakest shit, I think about what is a huge failure in execution of what we see on screen and how it impacts what they're trying to to, to do, right? Uh, when we think about Jatrell, the reason why it was the weakest shit was it was this idea that the transporter could basically reconstitute the molecule molecules of all of these talaxians that died from the super weapon that the space J Robert Oppenheimer could get, you know, some kind of closure from the fact he invented space nukes. Right. That was a little point. And it almost works. And, but it doesn't work. And then Voyager says, Oh no, we tried and we're not going to try again. And it was super weak because there was no narrative, like cohesiveness to that moment at all. It just seemed like that Janeway was a heartless bitch, not to put too fine a point on it. So my weakest shit is when the Equinox immediately suspended the doctor's ethical subroutines and turned him into a supervillain with a snap of his fingers. The Captain Ramson just goes over to a computer terminal and undoes all of the doctor's uh, character development over the course of five seasons with beep, beep, boop. And there's not a moment where there's anything about the doctor's underlying intelligence breaking through his slave chains to stop him from torturing his, his frankly, his best friend to death. Seven and of nine. love interest. And love interest. Like, that was the weakest shit to me because they spend years. Captain Ransom doesn't go and say, I'm going to make you evil. I'm uploading the, the, the fuck you virus code maliciousness yeah. he's just i'm getting rid of your ethics subroutines and what are you without your ethics and it immediately jumps to sadistic doctor yeah. evil yeah he becomes dr mengala immediately and it's so weak because they spend so much time on this show building up the doctor as a character on this journey to self-awareness and sentience as a real person and then they have this the single moment in this pivotal episode where all of that doesn't matter. It's beep, beep, boop on a computer by a guy who doesn't know shit from Dick and immediately turns him evil. And there is no consequence for whatsoever for the doctor's journey as a person about this moment. It's, Oh gosh, seven. Sorry. I almost tortured you to death later. And then that is it. And that to it's me is the weakest shit because it is so weirdly damaging to the whole theme of the doctor's character that they spend so much time developing. If there's one thing you can say about Voyager, it's the doctor's growth arc is amazing. It started uh, as an organic thing that was not meant to be. And Bob Picardo clawed it out and fans embraced it. And the doctor was this beloved thing and the deafness of the writer's room, not to acknowledge. And I'm curious, like other people out pa pause real quick. Uh, stay true. And Soxy Steph talking about loving Little House on the Prairie episode with with Janeway and Chakotay get stranded and that you both love it. Are you are you women? <laughs> how how Stay true is a girl? Yeah, 
Yeah, it's definitely an episode that I think requires a high level of estrogen to appreciate. I'm not going to even apologize for that. I'm 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 genuinely I'm not surprised, but that's very interesting. And again, a lot of episodes about Voyager were for people that aren't you and me. I think it's like it was silly, certainly not uh, a worst episode for us, but it's very interesting to see that coming in as as one of the strongest points. But uh, back to the task at hand. People out there who watched Equinox real time, I mean, did it stand out as this crazy, not even a sore thumb, like like a fucking decapitation that the doctor who is the strongest, most realist human on that ship went that fucking evil as casually as it did and no one said boo about it? And, and I'll be interested to see what these look at. Because my assumption is that, I don't know, maybe just to the casual viewer, like, who gives a fuck? Not a big deal. Like, yeah, okay, well, you know, they made him the evil doctor and they fix him. And that's just a dilemma in the episode. No big deal. Not understanding the damage that it really did to that episode. So what's your weakest shit, Peter? My weakest shit. And this is uh, the strong contender of what's wrong with Voyager overall. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff we can look at and we have looked at where it's just a bad plot writing that, you know, fucks up the cube, bad plot writing that fucks up the Borg, uh, you know, a little bad line here that makes the doctor seem like a fucking, uh, a monster keeping Harry around at the cost of Kess species eight, four, seven, two, which is Borg stuff. The weakest shit in Star Trek Voyager. What is wrong with Star Trek Voyager where a lot of these bad episodes turn into the 59 here is the, batshit villainous writing of Catherine Janeway. The inconsistency in that the, the fulcrum of most of the plots out there is we need someone to be a fucking idiot. We need someone to act criminally stupid and negligent and it's going to be Catherine Janeway. She is going to be the villain time and time again and everybody is going to be okay with it and not mutiny. And then the next episode she does nothing but care about every little exact detail of the prime directive and then the episode after that she's going to say i don't like bullies fuck you invade their space do the thing we want and just uh, again I, I made the joke a while ago that uh there is a room there's a concrete pit full of starved vicious pit bulls they're all white dogs and someone with a black magic marker and it's it's a uh, federation stickler uh anti-bully crusader um, psychopathic vengeance driven equinox whatever and then they throw a script in there and the dogs fight and bite each other and whatever dog uh, is able to limp away still alive that's the Kathy Janeway that you're going to get in that script and you look at the worst episodes and it's you can lay the bad decisions and the bad parts squarely at her feet and then that person simply just does not exist the next time and you never had that with Picard and I can't say about disco but i mean any of these other guy captains you had a consistent portrayal and it almost was like well we can't make this guy look stupid you i, know, I certainly can uh, i can attest to the fact that they definitely make burnham overly emotional in, i'm talking burman era though uh, yeah. right I'm not, I'm not even laying this new kurtzman stuff in there but like the the classic burman era trek kirk whatever like the captain was consistent, and the captain would have a few faults here and there and make some missteps, but just the frequency and the glee with which the writer's room puts the dunce cap on Janeway is fucking criminal, and the entire show suffers for it. Let's do some rapid-fire awards. And hold on, we're here. Soxy stuff again. I'm going to tap back into this female. Yes, it was so frustrating as a young woman watching it and seeing the female leader who was awesome, but then an idiot. I 
hey guys, look, we're going to empower a woman. We've got this, this mixed crew. We're being very progressive. And on one side, I want to say that there is a strength in having flaws in people. And we'll see what happens because I understand that um, Archer isn't a perfect person and he makes a lot of mistakes. But yeah, like making the minority the bad guy, making the making Seska one of the most competent villains in Star Trek history ever. That's fucking awesome, man. Like way to empower women with a bad guy like that. And, and, and you can say, all right, listen, we're making these people more human. And that means the captain's going to make some mistakes. I respect that, but just the crazy extremes they drag her across. It's just, it's unreal. She seems mentally ill with, with the frequency that she just flip flops and the dumb shit she drags everybody into. Rapid fire awards. Here we go. Best single scene in the whole show. Mine's the Neelix goodbye. And I was going to say actually from season, from season one, episode four. Uh, so the, the phage, the very first episode of the, the Deans, when Janeway con- comes to the conclusion that she has to let them go because she can't just execute them. Like she is this overwhelmed by how awful they are, but also that her ethics won't permit her to like do anything, but just let them leave because she can't do anything else. And it also frames Voyager great as in we are visitors here and it is not our place. And this is a very alien situation that we have found ourselves in. And this is a very scary yeah. uh, world. I think it was one of the, the first times she really got a sense of her like, Oh fuck, this is going to be awful. You know, I am, we're, we're dealing with some unknown horrors and I don't have anyone to run back to people can get their fucking lungs stolen. And there's nothing I can do. <laughs> and the dummy that wandered off and got his lungs stolen uh, like I just said, the Neelix goodbye scene for me um, brought tears in my eyes. It hit me in the feels. Uh, it took Neelix's graduation in that scene, the end of that hero's journey, his departure from the crew that he loves to the family that he deserves, um, really showing the depth of complexity that Voyager is capable of and the rewards it's able to bestow on the people who've been patient enough to sit through all of this uh, and the payoff there, I thought that was uh, just... uh, I mean, it hit levels I didn't know that Voyager was capable of. Uh, Most baffling Voyager trope, and by Voyager trope I mean things like doing dangerous things next to the warp core all the time. You know, like, we've brought up different Voyager tropes through the years, my most baffling one was the clown shoes level of internal security. Uh, it's the wharf issue writ large uh, on a galactic scale that doesn't matter who the antagonist is. It doesn't matter if they're the most low rent antagonist possible. They always confound Tuvok's internal security at a level that it's gross incompetence and nothing else. And you don't have to do it this way. Like DS9's huge sort of uh, innovation was their security officer, Odo, is hyper competent and very good at preventing crime. And episodes often revolve around him having stopped a bad thing from happening in consequences as a, that occur after that bad thing is stopped than him constantly getting clowned on. So you can do it a different way. And for whatever reason, they just went with the wharf effect, except at maximum p- possible fucking power. And it just becomes ridiculous. Uh, 
lot of mine were contenders for weakest shit. You know, always creating a brand new character that when they needed someone to die instead of you know pulling in someone we know and care about, uh, abandoning the Maquis crew split it would just come up over and over again. Like, how are the Maquis okay with this? The ridiculous mercy they show the Borg. Um, but the most baffling trope, uh, which just gets hammered in towards the the end of uh, season seven again, is. Oops, we lost our warp core, which is that whole thing that powers our ship and might strand us in the middle of nowhere until we die. Let's send out one death cart with two people. <laughs> so that was from season seven. That was that was pretty that was pretty recent. Season seven and Balana's bad day at work when the fried chicken. For the fried people chicken people. Oh yes, of course. It's there's... a trope. It happened twice. It's a fucking trope. All right. All right. Okay. I okay. Okay. I accept this. Best We're trying to get home. We need our go juice. Be- <laughs> what was the best V'ger police inside joke? Listen to the early episodes. Just the fucking glee in discovering the cast of Better Call Saul hidden in Star Trek Voyager. Just one after another, too. Just just sprinkled in. It's not just um, the Juggalo clown. I can't remember his name. I'm, I'm blanking on it. But the blonde guy that's like uh, his boss... Oh, yeah, from, from the cougar planet, yeah. From the cougar planet. He's just chilling out, doing drugs, getting his dick sucked, and then he's a mummy. Died doing what he loved, you M- know? Mine will forever be post-mortem revival protocols. That they bust that you out. You know what? Funny that that doesn't even come up on the weakest shit, because that's, that's a real doozy, too. It's just one of those throwaway lines to make an episode work that breaks continuity so hard, you and I could never escape from it for the rest of the show. Like... It's the stupidest line I've ever heard. Oh, postmortem revival protocols, huh? That's just something you do? I'm changing mine. Jesse Lightyear just hit the nail on the head. The amount of episode dilemmas that you can solve with technology acquired through other episodes, be it stasis. I mean, it always comes down to the the thaw stasis chambers. But, like, so many times we're like, how is this a problem? You Four episodes ago, you got the key to this door. Like... What the fuck's going on? You just use the shit sitting down in Cargo Bay 4. Let it work. Put the fucking T-1000 hologram in the problem and let him surprise you. Don't by, wait until By season last... 7, they had such a collection of that stuff. It was would have been like the fucking final scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Yeah. The crazy part about um, Endgame is that when Voyager rolls back into Earth with like the Batman 89 shields and the, the Trilliolopolis torpedoes or whatever the fuck future Janeway gave them like that's not even the most busted shit they've got access to the crazy the best guest star uh to me Dwight Schultz pretty easy um almost Again, not a not a guest star regular cast member by the end as to say cheating a little bit because he's almost not a guest star because he becomes a recurring character but I still think that he adds a shit ton to the show it was a great move to use him as the connection to the alpha quadrant there's this hyper-focused nerd who hyper-focuses on Voyager in perhaps a not entirely healthy way. I loved it. I loved his use. Space Boddicker's a close second, but Dwight Schultz. Martha Hackett. All right. Okay. You know, she she's there as a regular, but, you know, they are able to tap her to come back a couple times, and she just oozes into that role right where she left off every time, and it just brings me such fucking glory and joy and glee uh again i love an empowered Truman. truman truman went the way in r.i.p shocky shock shocky is the best guest character on the show 
anybody that can shock Tom Paris's teeth and make me feel it, I'm there. Yeah, but uh, Martha Hackett, I mean, put me on the fan list, I'm there. Uh, most melodramatic Voyager moment. Um, it's hard to pick, but I feel like all the scenes at 1159 when it feels like Janeway's ancestor is going to have sex with that teenager. Yes. Is where I landed with my selection. Mm-hmm. It is a Hallmark episode. It's a Hallmark movie. Except with like a tiny bit of Trek frame story. And, uh, you know, it's about saving a, a fucking bookstore from a redevelopment tycoon, I guess. It's the stupidest thing in the world. And it's supposed to be Janeway's ancestor. And you think that she's going to get together with the old man. But she seems way more flirty with the young fan said just uh 1159 as a whole was the most melodramatic thing does melodramatic always have to mean bad or can melodramatic mean like you know just really over the top you know well since you already said 1159 and because it's worth bearing mention and i do see people talking about um resistance out there uh i'm gonna abuse my melodramatic i'm gonna misappropriate it to janeway's speech where she really embodies what the spirit of a Starfleet captain should be, acknowledge that this old man should not be risking his life for her crew, uh, lies to him so he's not there when shit goes down and is willing to go on a suicide mission to save her people uh, in the most Starfleet of Starfleet shit I've ever seen a captain do. God, Resistance. What another fucking great episode that didn't make either of our top fives. Like, that that was New Jack Neelix... That was... that was Tuvok and Bolana getting beat up together. The first of many uh, minority abusing events that Voyager will have its crew af- inflicted with. You got Delta Quadrant jackboots. You had an Oscar winner, like, side character. You know, like, just... Man, that one cooked. That one really yep. cooked. Oh, what a sh- You know, like, Voyager had some winners that didn't even make our list, and that that's clearly one of them. I'm telling you, 113 good episodes out there. Easy. Uh, best Delta Quadrant race, the Cleveland Bromars. <laughs> you know why the Cleveland Bromars are my favorite? You know why? Because they're bitchy and squishy. Because they fucking, they told Janeway to her face what an incompetent dirtbag she is. And there's something about that energy that I have to appreciate. Like, she pointed out, like, you have a Borg on your ship, and you just kind of let her roam around, and then she did some unstable stuff, and you're surprised? What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, God bless. And everything that they accused her of and, and warned might happen all happened, and Voyager looked fucking terrible, and then just, you know, created a, a intergalactic incident to try and fix it before they zooped off. Take that next door rating. I guess that's also one of my favorite uh, V'ger please tropes is the the ongoing. The next door rating. Yes, of course. Real stuff. Uh, Gevians, man. They were a one-off. They were supposed to be a big deal. I saw the fucking potential for greatness in there. And it's so rare to see the Federation at the technical disadvantage without being something light years ahead of them like Q right or Mm -hmm. or the borg just like hey man this is us like maybe a hundred years from now and just the rod of society just it it mirrored the federation so great where you have this post-scarcity rot that has set in and the corruption the unwillingness and, and rigidity 
to to cooperate the devious nature and i think it would have been great to see them just continue to hound and plague voyager poisoning planets against their presence and just being three steps ahead of them because of this transportation technology and just mercilessly hound them because you're bored and don't have anything better to do and because they got one up on you one time a huge squandered potential there i would have loved to see it realized uh and they'll forever have a place in my heart for it i think and also i mean vlad claude boom was just a great dude that you know much much respect to the kazon who we belittle as the Kmart Klingons, and they certainly deserve that to a degree, but also wound up having a really rich backstory. And by the time they sort of transitioned off the show, we had warmed up to them. It's the Holy Trinity. Well, Skeevian, again, I mean, Skeevians weren't really supposed to be... Skeevians did not end up being there for the long haul, but the 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 the, the, uh, the, the Vidians... You know, these fucking trash, stupid concepts that by the end, not only were serviceable, but were fucking great. The Malorn, who, you know, I'm going to probably call, well, fuck it, we'll get right into it. The Malorn, I'm saying, are the worst Delta Quadrant alien race because they're just fucking Captain Planet clowns. They suck. They're two-dimensional and bad and evil. The last time you see them, they finally managed to salvage them and make them great, only to never use them again. And in the process of the entire thing, managed to make voyager look like fucking villainous bad guys too because of their unwillingness just to go to the home world and say hey quit living in nuclear squad <clears throat> killing all your people here's our hippie federation tech be happy and off we go i didn't put them alone as my worst because of the aforementioned we salvaged them at the last second situation mm-hmm. mine is an og sin it's the benian which are the og shitheads from ex post facto I just okay. I would even mention their true name. I feel like fucking Voldemort has just shown up. <laughs> just the look on your face when I when I mentioned them. That that episode is bad, uh, in its own way. But it was the beginning of this weird trend that Voyager had this. I don't know what do you call it. A fetish for aliens in the Delta Quadrant just having na- nasty crap in their hair or on their head, and that's how you differentiated them. I'm sure budget savers and God knows where they're putting the rest of that budget. Um, yeah, I, you know, that, and that's... They are a placeholder for many other low-concept, boring, time-waster aliens. And yeah, that, that's really that, that genus, I don't know, family, genus, species of time-wasters. They all fall under the shitheads. I'm going to jump back over one of the best races if we're talking placeholders. The season five bubble neck merchant class, right? You had the bubble neck dude from, um, oh God, was it the slingshot episode maybe? Uh, there was the guy with the cool blue coat from Warhead where, uh, you know, just this merchantile class of people that are not the evilest dudes. They're just trying to make a buck and living in the Wild West a lot of cool one-off character uh, special effects costumes. Yeah, was, the guy... there was that one guy who showed up in that one episode where Kathy's got the boyfriend who hates psychics. Which I love that episode. Was that Repentance? I forget. But they... You hated it. Yeah. I hated it. But there was the, the alien that they find... Counterpoint. That has the, like, a fish person kind of 
affect going on and it was like the makeup was really good the prosthetics were really good and it was like never used again for any reason so there was some like not even one-offs like one scene aliens that were really well raptor designed. man from partuition that's oh yes raptor man and raptor baby yeah um so there was you know that that really even go to that turd alice uh the the merchant that ran the scrapyard like i'd I dig that. And that there was two times I think that the Voyager would have to go to like a space scrapyard and deal with people and find out like well, we're solving the, the mystery and here's just a cranky vendor and aren't they interesting and cool and, and fun to talk about. So not enough of those guys. Not enough fair trade outposts. Not fair trade. Was that fair trade? New Jack Neelix comes back and then they have the warp plasma fireball. Yep, that's fair trade. Yeah, I was confused that with false prophets, whereas one is one of the best and the other is one of the guys in the worst. <laughs> that's how I don't that's how I don't confuse them. Mm-hmm. One is this heartfelt episode where Neelix makes a huge character turn into being a really well thought out uh, you know, character with backstory and stakes and emotions and you... that Delta Flyer shit all over and made me stop listening to Delta Flyers. Oh, are you serious? Are you fucking serious? They shit on that episode? Yeah, I was like, all right, I'm turning this off. Now. That is bizarre. That to me is just such a an excellent character piece. Like, first, it's here is this wild Delta Quadrant space station on the fringes of this weird, you know, uh, spatial expanse. That used to be the shoot. Yeah, that that looks like it was a prison because it wasn't a prior episode. And then on top of that, it's Neelix feeling like she he has to earn his place and he'll just basically be dropped off at the next Talaxian truck stop, which he was eventually, uh, if, if he doesn't prove his worth and he winds up doing a whole bunch of regretful shit to try and do that by getting together with an old drug dealing buddy of his, because you get like some backstory and he wasn't necessarily a good guy, but you know, he's become a good guy and just, God, there's so much, th- and they shit on that. That would, to me would be, Not to go off too much of a tangent on fucking Delta Flyers, but if I were in the blind going to, you know, like pick out an episode of like, oh, they'll like this one because it's very drama oriented. It is very performance oriented. Like there's so much to do for the actor there. And that's the sort of thing they're going to be down with because they're both actors and they shit on it because like because they're not in it. Like, what the fuck? I don't get it. What was the rationale? I don't know. I don't want to talk about it more. <laughs> God. Gross. Gross. Yeah. All right. So we're almost wrapped up here in terms of awards that we wanted to give away. We've talked about best episodes. We've talked about worst episodes, best seasons, worst seasons, best scenes, weakest shit, best inside jokes. Um, before we go on any final thoughts about the show i did want to like make a few thank yous um this isn't the end for for v'ger please as i've said many times over the last several episodes we'll be back uh we're going to begin reviewing enterprise uh actually starting in march you can expect us back then uh we're gonna take a few weeks off and also take some time to record episodes and kind of get the all of the editing perfect for them as we get out of the gate for that so you will you will see us again in the not too distant future. But yet, almost to the day four years ago, Peter and I conceived of doing this podcast, and it's been much more fun than I ever thought it would be. 
Uh, I am just overjoyed at the community that we've managed to build. Um, it's just everyone is really cool. And we'd all enjoy communicating about Star Trek. And it's hard. Being civil while we've been doing it. Yeah, like it's hard to find a group of people on the internet to talk about a shared experience with where everyone is just being cool. Right. Like that it's not doesn't get weird. You know, we obviously try to steer away from anything along those lines on purpose and, and we will continue to do that. Uh, but at the same time, everybody else has gotten the hint because you're all mature adults because you're all, you know, probably in our age demo. <laughs> and who the fuck knows? Who the, who the fuck knows? <laughs> and whatever. We appreciate that everyone has been cool and has continued to be cool. And more than anything, we want that to continue. So thank you for that. Uh, thank you to people like Ian and Sarah for having done our theme music. We've thanked them many times and, you know, not a big spoiler. You can expect to hear them again soon. Uh, thanks uh, to Mike and Taryn, who are the only people we have trusted to bring on to the show as co-hosts, uh, who got us through some dark times, particularly some dark Irish times. And uh, Taryn, in particular, for your uh, willingness to provide the space math when subpoenaed. Uh, thanks to Jack. You know, the worst case scenario game is an old timer. Um, and thanks to Darius, our meme lord, who came up with a, a series finale uh, meme worthy of his name. Uh, and then thanks to so many of our contributors in the Venture Police Drama Support Group. And that thanks you know, to Soren for being willing to like reflect the unpopular viewpoint in the in the the comments, especially through Picard. And like, I know. was going to mention him specifically as like an avatar of. He listens to our show and he's a fan, but he's also like a positive man, you know, like he's very positive in, in how he wants to reflect his joy of Star Trek. And he's the one that started the uh, I want you to name something good about this when we reviewed a bad episode as, you know, probably a bit of trolling, but also of like, as you have reflected on, you find things in the garbage. You sift through it enough. You find a little diamond. It's good to reflect on that sometimes. So Soren is like the avatar of the Future Please Trauma Support Group in many ways because of that. He's here for the hateful journey, but he wants you to do it with a smile on his face. So I like that. I like it too. But uh, we we would seriously probably not be doing this if we hadn't developed such a cool community to do it with. So thank you to all of you. And thank you for all much, of you Much to my up. wife's chagrin too. I'm sure she... Uh... <laughs> I think she's furious that I'm going in and continuing into Enterprise, and uh, she's probably mad as hell that this one-hour podcast just turned into two. So well, I'd like to say a thank you to my wife, who will never, ever hear this, uh, you, for putting up with my nerd shit. You, th you thank Casey a lot for it, for uh, something she'll never listen to. Stevie has I'd like to think my, my secret fantasy is one day my kids, once they're over the age of 18 and already swearing like sailors themselves, will for some reason listen to this stuff and uh i don't know if i die in a car accident or something <laughs> there's some part of me on the internet that i can be kind of proud of if you're a star trek fan otherwise if you're my boss or someone i, I never want you to hear any of this stuff ever uh to my own wife stevie who actually soldiered through a high percentage of the show for the first i want to say four or five seasons before she started tapping out more um you know it's as done this is much easier to be done with with the support of one's spouse so Thank you to her, and I think she actually has a decent chance of hearing that. So, and, and again, you know, watching this with you, 
going super nerd on all the stuff, having people to turn around and talk to and getting fan feedback. Like, I don't know what Voyager was supposed to be when they conceived of it, but I can say that my experience watching this, uh, you know, my my popping my cherry, watching it as a Voyager virgin. Ooh, Voyager virgin. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> what I'm a glad fucking we visual. never discovered that term until the very fucking end. <laughs> um, has been amazing. And take all the great TV out there right now, the the genuine joy that I've been able to get out of such an old fucking nineties relic, uh, just off the charts. Great time. And uh time well spent and also minus a logium. And then, then <laughs> thank you to our patrons as well on Patreon. We don't push that often because, quite frankly, we don't need a lot just because, uh, you know, we're just trying to cover our costs. This is this is for entirely for fun for Peter and I and not something we're trying to make bones off of. But to those of you who have contributed so as to uh, offset some of our costs, we appreciate it. And I, I think uh, Peter and I are serious about uh, maybe our next Patreon episode being a fucking Tank Girl review. So if you're into that, head to our Patreon. Um any final thoughts, Peter, on Star Trek Voyager? Anything that you want to leave this review with? You watched it all. You've given your overall sort of recommendation, but what are your final thoughts? You know, Jerry Springer style. Since he is former mayor of city city of Cincinnati, I, I feel a spiritual connection to him. I mean, we've seen a lot through the show. There's some real ups, there's some real downs. Um you know, and, and by and large, I think you can forgive a lot of the inconsistencies that we've seen because they've come at the cost of a greater story. But, I mean, it's just ridiculous to me that the guy who kills Bruce Willis's wife would even have a fucking gun. It's a nuclear weapon. You shoot Bruce Willis's gun in Looper, all right? When you shot his wife, the whole it's it unraveled the whole movie. And, and if you can't, if you can get past that, uh, then there's something wrong with you. It just, it's a poison pill. Listen... After The Last Jedi, I'm never going to defend Ryan Johnson's creative output ever again. <laughs> my, how the mighty have fallen. Things change. Oof. Things All right. change, my friend. All right. Well, I'm Good gonna, times, good times. Good times, everybody. Again, we'll see you in March uh, with for our first regular episode back. There might be something for our patrons between now and then. We'll let folks know. Well, obviously, we continue to be uh, active via social media and on, our, on the Future Police Trauma Support Group. So you can uh, you can count on us there and give me a minute or two and I'm going to reopen the Discord if anybody wants to come hang out. You'd be welcome to. I know Peter's probably got to tap out. Uh, but Oh, yeah. I got to. Deep trouble. <laughs> so it'll just be me. But uh, uh, thank you to everybody. And uh, we'll see you soon.